0: The following is a message from Derkettown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Derkettown, please visit our website at www.derkettown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot o-r-g. love that prayer that uh, we say for the kids. Um, It's it's a blessing that we have a church uh, that prays for children uh, and prays for my children. Um, But one of the other cool things about it is I I don't have to remember when I get up here to dismiss the children's children's church, and I don't forget, so it's good. Um, If you would join me, please, uh, we're going to read Uh, Our text for today from James uh, chapter 4, I will be reading from uh, verses 8 through 10. Give me a minute to get there. Again, that's James 4, we'll be starting in verse 8. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Uh, Please pray with me as I ask God to bless uh, the preaching of his word. Father God, I thank you for uh, once again this opportunity uh, to be before your people and to boldly proclaim uh, your gospel, uh, your word to them. I pray that it would enable your people to worship you. Lord, that it would equip your people throughout the week to do the work that they need to do so that they might glorify you. I pray. Uh, that you would bless uh, the preaching of your word, that you would get me out of the way, uh, and that you uh, would work through your Holy Spirit uh, to enable uh, your preacher to preach your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are entering a season of penitence. We're heading into Advent. And we've talked about the idea of thinking about the the darkness uh, and how we are looking forward to the advent of Christ and the arrival of the light of the world. But what does it mean to be penitent? Well, if I were to define penitence, I would say that it is faith in action. It is, in a sense, repentance, a term that we're much more familiar with, right? It is turning away from one thing. And turning to another. And the stakes really couldn't be higher. They couldn't be higher. My wife pointed this out. Uh, I snuck a peek at her. She has one of those uh, journaling scriptures from James. And she's been working through that. And, and one of the things she wrote in her introduction was she noticed how there was, there's this juxtaposition right at the beginning. This contrast that exists right at the beginning of James. So thanks, Becca. <laughs> she mentioned it to me last night, and uh, it reminded me. But I, I was already going to talk about it. Um, but if you look back uh, at James one, uh, in verse starting in verse twelve, you see this idea: the blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. For when he has stood the test, he will receive a crown of life. So we see that steadfastness results in life, steadfastness through the trials of life. I would argue that uh, he is talking uh, at least in part about the trials that we face with our own sin. And then he, he con- contrasts this later on in the same text with, but each person is tempted, uh, this is in verse 14, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. So you have this concept of life and death, right? They're they're already there. We have sinful desire brings death, but steadfastness through trial uh, brings life. It's also important for our text today to understand what's going on Immediately in, in the context of James, he's giving us a, a remedy for murderous and covetous hearts. Something that, as Pastor Ken has pointed out over the last you know, several weeks, we all have struggled with. Our tongues, we can be murderers with our tongues. That was a very convicting sermon he gave on that particular subject. One that you know, I certainly had to think about the way that I speak to other people. We can be covetous of people, what they have, whether that's the tangible things that they have or whether that's the intangible things that they have. Oh, they're they're a great speaker or they're uh, tremendously humble or whatever it is, we might covet after uh, who they are as a person as well, not just the things that they have. But James is giving us a a remedy for that, and we we see that from the text itself. If we were to back up in 4, we see what James is saying, the argument that he's making. He says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? And this term desire shows up again. Your desire, uh, or sorry, you desire what you do not have, and so you murder. Uh, You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. And He rebukes the people, you adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose, the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. He's already started to give the solution to the problem. We see that they're, they're dealing with murderous and covetous hearts, even within the church, amongst the community of believers. And Repentance, penitence is needed. That's the background for our passage today. I entitled uh, the sermon, The Penitent Man Will Pass. Maybe that's familiar to some of you. Maybe it's sounding familiar to some of you. Uh, It's a quote from a movie. Um, I don't know if, uh, maybe I see some of you smiling, so some of you know where it's coming from. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I'm a child of the 80s right? And in 1989, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade came out. Uh, it's one of my favorite adventure movies. Indiana Jones is awesome. You know, he's just played by Harrison Ford. Amazing. And, and what is he on? He's on a quest for the Holy Grail in that movie. And, and towards the end of the movie, his father, who's portrayed by Sean Connery, uh, gets shot and is wounded, we suppose, fatally, right, at, at that part of the movie. And things are looking grim. Uh, but, and, of course, he's shot by Nazis because the Nazis are always the bad guys in those movies. Um, and, and he has to save his father's life by retrieving the grail uh, because it has divine power and can, you know, heal, heal him. Uh, but he has to pass three tests, right? Before he can obtain the grail, he has to pass these three uh, specific tests, and he has clues from his notebook, you know, that he's been meticulously keeping and his father's been keeping over the years. Uh, and one of the clues for the first test, which is called the breath of God, is the penitent man will pass. The penitent man will pass. And we see this as a matter of life and death. We've already seen someone attempt to go through this trial and didn't go so well, right? He lost his, his head. And so as he's moving, Indy's moving through, and they don't make movies like they used to, and it's so sad. You feel it in that movie when when Harrison Ford turns and just looks at the camera. You feel the intensity of this. But it's a matter of life and death. He's moving through this tunnel, this small tunnel, to pass the test. And you hear him say, and he's repeating, and it cuts back to Sean Connery, and they're both repeating this line, the penitent man will pass, the penitent man will pass. And then you see uh, Indy, as he says, the penitent man... Is humble, kneels before God, kneel, and then he kneels and rolls forward just as a blade was about to swipe his head off of his shoulders. So because of his humility, he passed the test. He said, I'm through, you know, and and everybody else can follow him because he disables the the trap because he's the hero of the story. Obviously, he's not going to die, right? Well, while the movie puts Indy in a dire situation, and it is dire, it's life and death, certainly, Uh, humbling oneself uh, by kneeling is simple, and it's a, a good illustration, right? But today, I hope we learn that our situation is far more dire, right? And it has far less a simple solution as physically just kneeling, although that is an outward sign of faith in action at times. Though we're in a more dire situation than the one that Indiana Jones faced uh, in the movie and his quest uh, for the Holy Grail. And again, I think James perfectly gives us an answer for how we need to react in the world. What does faith in action look like for us? What does repentance look like for us He opens up, beckoning us to draw near to God. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. I used another illustration this morning where I was like, oh, you know, if I were to say I'm drawing near to Pastor Ken, that would mean I'm moving closer in proximity to him. And then he asked me for some water. That was pretty cool. Do you you want some more water? Yeah, here we go. We'll do it. (laughs) But right, I'm drawing near to Pastor Ken in that moment, right? But that's kind of a, that's not what the text means, right? It's a metaphor. We're talking about drawing near to God in a different sort of way. But what does it mean, then, to draw near to God? Well, I think the previous verse helps us. Uh, And if you look up, I think it's in verse uh, 7. Yep. If you look in verse 7, we see the, the verse, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. It's very poetic parallelism that's happening here, right? So these are kind of poetic lines, uh, very similar to what's happening in Proverbs and in Psalms. And they're, they're lines that are put together that are distinct, but they're connected, right? And what we see here, Is that submitting yourself to God, resisting the devil, and he will flee from you is very akin to drawing near to God. Well, again, how how do we do that? How do we submit ourselves to God? How do we resist the devil? And that's the question that James is going to answer. But we already see here that the idea of penitence and repentance is already in this passage. James answers the question, as he moves forward in this text, cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Again, metaphors, right? What does he mean by these? We all kind of have a good idea of what cleansing our hands is. If we, if we were all to say we, your hands are dirty of this particular sin or of uh, this particular offense, we would all know that you're guilty, Right? That's the, the concept there. This is an age-old concept that's existed for a long time. For the Jews, there was ritual hand-washing. Uh, it was uh, before you ate. We see that happening, I think, with Jesus' is interacting with the Pharisees, and they're saying, oh, your disciples don't wash their hands before they eat. You know, there's a lot of, of man-made rules that they came up with. But the idea of washing your hands was important uh, and symbolic in a lot of ways. Uh, the priests washed their hands. We see that established in Exodus 30. I just spent a lot of time in Exodus because we went to the Simeon Trust, and that's the text that we were working on. But we see Aaron uh, is instructed uh, as a priest to wash his hands before he goes in to God. So there is a, a right place in terms of hand washing, uh, even within Judaism. We see that pagans had a pretty good idea of what it meant to wash your hands, of even, even symbolically uh, washing your hands. Pilate, in Matthew 27, after his interaction with Jesus and the people, uh, he washes his hands and says, my hands are clean of this man's death, essentially, is what he proclaims, right? So Pilate is washing his hands. He doesn't want anything to do, that, do with this he wants, he wants to be clean of it. So it's a common cultural practice, right? Both in Judaism and in the world. And I would say it's, it's really representative of cleaning yourself, washing yourself clean from the guilt of your sins. It's a very difficult task, is it not? And we'll talk more about that as we continue. But I would say this is primarily the idea of of looking to the past. What are the things that I've done? What am I, what am I guilty of? What are the stains that, that are on my hand? Whose blood is on my hands? You need to take a look at that, especially in the context of having a murderous heart. Again, if we're talking in metaphor, and we've spoken ill of someone, we've murdered them in our hearts. You know, those are things that we need to deal with. We need to live in a season of repentance. But the idea here is, again, cleansing your hands, washing yourself clean of the guilt that is there, and dealing with the sins that we commit, kind of the externals of of the things that are obvious, that people see, that we know, the sins of commission. And then we see, and it's directed at sinners as well, but we also see this idea of purifying one's heart, purity of heart, and it's addressed to those who are double-minded, right? This is repeated from chapter 1 and verse 8, where you have double-minded people, right? People who are, uh, their focus is not on God, not on the worship of God, or it's divided. It isn't on Yahweh, but they're not single-minded. They're not focused on who God is and what God wants from them. And it it also calls back to verse 4 in this text as well, where he says, you adulterous people. right? We've we've given ourselves away uh, to other passions, other desires, instead of seeking after the true God. But the idea of purifying one's heart is again, akin to something that, and again, I would spend a lot of time in Exodus. So I think of Exodus 19, which was the chapter that I had to deal with um, when I went to Simeon Trust, which is a preaching uh, workshop, if you didn't know already. And you have, you have Moses consecrating the people, right? It's very similar to what we're talking about right now with purifying hearts, but you need to consecrate yourself when you're going before God as well. So it's setting one's heart or oneself aside as holy or sacred, right? And setting up Yahweh as, as the single-minded sole focus of what you're doing. Have you set aside your own heart as holy or sacred space for God and for God alone? So we had focused on the cleansing of our sins, the washing off of our guilt in repentance, And taking care of our past sins. I would say the purifying of our hearts. Is looking more towards the future. How do we sanctify ourselves. Prevent ourselves from sinning. In the future. And when we're focused on God. I believe that becomes a harder task. I would say both of these things. Are impossible without Christ. They're impossible without the spirit of Christ. Christ. That lives within us. But how do, we, how do we get to the point where we can cleanse our hands and purify our hearts? Well, again, James gives us the answer in the text, our text today. When he says, let me get back to the text here. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Boy, that's a hard saying, isn't it? Who wants to be... Who wants to be wretched? Literally, the Greek term means be miserable. Be miserable. Who wants to mourn and weep? Is that all that God has for us? Well, I would say that this passage in itself is, is full of grace. James talks about how grace is coming. But this should also, and James often does this, points us back to the teachings of Jesus. And one of the first things uh, that should come to mind should be the, the Beatitudes. Because those who mourn will be comforted. You know, it's oftentimes sinners who at least temporarily, live in joy. And they become scoffers. They have much laughter in their hearts because they think they have victory in some sort of way. And I think a lot of us have felt that in our time. Uh, if, if, you, you know, if, <laughs> if you weren't blessed enough to become a Christian when you were very, very young and don't even remember a time when you weren't a Christian, you, maybe you remember the time when you were a scoffer. But that kind of of mourning, or that kind of joy, that kind of laughter fades away. Well, in the same way, I would say that this kind of being miserable, this kind of mourning, this kind of weeping, passes away, but this is somewhere where we need to kind of sit for a little bit sometimes. We need to think about our sin, and that's going to lead you, uh, should lead you to mourn and weep. It would let your laughter turn into mourning and your joy to gloom. And it would bring you much humility. Which is the point we're getting to. Humility is really the answer to the problem of having a murderous or covetous heart. A sinful heart. Because you have to realize that you can't do it on your own. And James says this, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. So the, morning, the season of mourning and weeping won't last forever. It might last a while. But eventually you can cleanse your hands. You can purify your heart through the spirit of Christ that has been put within you. This is the second time humility has been mentioned. We saw it in verse 6 when he says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So in order to cleanse one's hands and, and purify one's heart, James' ultimate solution is humility. And we can't do it ourselves. We need the work of Jesus and we need Jesus Himself. It was helpful to me. Uh, Paul Washer said this. Uh, and it, it, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting directly, but he talked about the idea of faith and repentance one time. And we are granted a measure of faith when we're saved, we're granted a measure of repentance when we're saved, but it doesn't end there. In our lives and our sanctification, God gives us more grace throughout our lives. And so we're constantly seeking him in faith and growing in faith, but we're also constantly seeking him in repentance and growing in repentance. It doesn't all come at once, and I would dare say it doesn't come until fully until it's realized in a glorified state in heaven. And so we need to be doing that as Christians, constantly seeking out God in faith and repentance. And I would pray that you would do that as you're reading through James, uh, as you continue to read through James uh, during this, this preaching series. I would pray that you would seek out God in both faith and repentance and to grow in both. Now, maybe you're here and you haven't done that. Maybe you've been going here a long time and you haven't done that. My prayer for you is that you would seek out God and you would seek out his grace and that you would come to him seeking out in humility, understanding who you are as a sinner, that you would seek out his forgiveness and his grace through the work of Jesus Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you don't know how to do that, Please come see me, see Pastor Ken, see one of the other elders or leaders here, or another Christian that you trust. But don't let it sit. Today is the day. Today is the day. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for uh these people I uh, thank you for uh the blessing that they've been in my life uh in the lives of my family father uh i feel I feel right now that uh people have been affected by your word and uh I pray that they wouldn't let that go by, that they would respond to that. Lord, um, I pray that you would be working uh, in everyone's heart today, Lord, that you would be equipping uh, your saints uh, to do your work, Lord. I pray that uh, you would be glorified uh, in your word. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Brian. As we come to the table of our Lord, Thank you for listening to this message from Durkytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkytown, please visit our website at www.durkytown.org.